Welcome to this edition of Cougar Insiders Podcast. On this edition, we're going to talk about BYU basketball. We'll recap uh, National Signing Day. Jay, Jay wrote an article about how we should regard this class. We'll discuss Gavin Baxter, BYU volleyball, all this and more on this edition of Cougar Insiders Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Cougar Insiders Podcast. Uh, with me today, it's just uh, Jay Drew. Uh, Dick Harmon had, is absent, Jeff Call, so it's just, just Jay Drew, and I guess I should introduce myself. I'm Brandon Gurney, not Dick Harmon. And uh, so, Jay, Mark Pope, I he defined this team as dangerous a- after the press conference. It, it was kind of interesting. Mark Pope wasn't his usual gregarious self. He was kind of subdued to some degree. I think he was disappointed that they let San Francisco back in the game like they did toward the end after dominating and all that. But I think the more notable thing was him just noting that this team has goals. And when asked specifically, he would not say the goals because he says they're it's kind of dangerous to talk about it. But he feels this team's dangerous, that this team can make a lot of noise. How do you feel about those comments, Jay? And how did you take him? I took him to be a little like Bronco Mendenhall used to do, where he would throw out slogans like Quest for Perfection and Our Goal is to Win the National Championship. I think it best that a coach underpromise and overdeliver. Rick Majerus was a master of that. And kind of when I was uh, getting going on in the business and kind of growing up in the business, he was kind of the coach that was on TV a lot, was quoted a lot. And so I kind of uh, developed the philosophy that that's probably the best way to go, especially where you don't want to get your fans, their expectations too high. And I think that's the danger in what Mark Pope said the other night was you're, he's putting all his chips out on the table to use a, uh, a gambling reference, um, a poker reference. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I guess it can be seen, you know, it'll be seen. The one thing he does have, he does have the five seniors. He does have a very, very mature group that can handle these sorts of expectations. So we'll see if he knows what he's doing. Uh, He's obviously proved himself to be a good coach, and we'll have to see. But he certainly, uh, with those comments, he's certainly giving other schools bulletin board material, and he's basically raising the expectations of the fans. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. But but what struck me about that is usually when coaches make comments like that, you kind of roll your eyes and think, yeah, right. I think those comments kind of have some credibility. I think this team, with with, with Yoli playing like he is now, and, and I have to believe his outside shot is going to be, get better. That's kind of been the weakness since he's come back. I, I think the finger might be affected that a bit. But um, And then with Gavin Baxter, who we'll, we'll touch on in a bit, I think there's a lot of credibility that this team can make some noise. I think absolutely it's a tournament team. I think it's a team that could make some noise in the tournament. I, just relative to what I've seen in the college basketball landscape and how this team's performed against some of the better teams in the country, I think we're going to learn a lot about this team when they take on Gonzaga at home. I, I think that's going to be the real barometer to where this team's at. And I think we're going to be able to take a lot from that game. But as mentioned, Gavin Baxter's back. I uh, only played two minutes and 34 seconds. I, um, I, I have to believe he was going to play the second half. But the game got too close, so they were probably hesitant to put him back in. But I've, from what everyone was saying, this was always the plan. There was never really an option in Gavin's mind that he was going to sit out this entire year. If he was going to get healthy again, he was absolutely playing. And, and what's your take on that, Jay? Do you think that's a good decision? Yeah, I guess so. I've thought a lot about it over the weekend. And if Gavin is on board, 
then I guess it's a good decision because it's his future. Basically, he could have used this season as a red shirt uh, and basically still had three seasons to play. But the factor I think that needs to be mentioned is he's been on a mission. He's older than the typical sophomore, which uh, he is in eligibility. So, you know, if he's looking towards that, then he's probably made a good decision. He's probably only going to play one more year in Provo after this one, maybe two, rather than, uh, you know, rather than, and so go ahead and count this as a as a burning the year of eligibility and, and see where it takes them. If they were having a bad year, I don't know that they would do this. I think the fact that they're having a really good year and they're right on the cusp, right on the edge of, of having a special season, which like you said, will be determined in the next few weeks, especially against that in that Gonzaga game and then at the WCC tournament. And if he can give you even a 10% boost, it's probably worth it. I think it's absolutely worth it. I, I think when sports a lot, when you're kind of looking at the future of the team, it never works out like you think it will. Like like for years when I covered BYU recruiting intently, you'd think, oh, uh, this quarterback's going to play for this amount of years, then this quarterback's going to give way to this guy and all that, and it never works out like you think it will. So I think if, if you can play, you play, um, especially uh, – uh, when when you're coming off an LDS mission. So yeah, and I think Gavin Baxter, I, the way I see him contributing is he can just be a cleanup guy and uh, a big-time cleanup guy that can grab offensive rebounds, that can catch alley-oops and, and, and wreck some havoc on defense. I think he has a real spot on this uh, on this team and, and he could benefit the play considerably. Um, West Coast Conference, it's kind of become a, a one-big conference, maybe two bids. Do you see this as a, a two or three-big conference this year, Jay? For sure, a two-bid league uh, with Gonzaga for sure, and then either BYU or St. Mary's. It could be a three-bid league depending on how the rest of the league play turns out. I think neither neither BYU nor St. Mary's can afford to lose to one of the non-big three teams. Uh, if they do, then they're they're in jeopardy. That's just because of the, the low net score of all the other teams. It is interesting that the WCC is ranked like eighth in the net, uh, just below the, the Pac-12, who everybody thinks, you know, the perception nationally is that the Pac-12 is head and shoulders above the WCC, and it's really not, to be honest with you. And the WCC has been as good or better than the Mountain West the last few years as well. And a lot of that is because of Gonzaga, obviously. Um, but I would say, having gone on the road with BYU basketball for many, many years, it is it is harder to win in those tiny gyms than people think. And and I'll just leave it at that. That it's a skilled league. It's a league with three point shooting. And if a guy gets hot like the San Francisco guy did a few weeks ago, you're in trouble. And BYU found that out. The Dons almost beat Gonzaga a few nights after that. So or a week after that. So yeah, it's it's a it's I think it's a better league than the national perception has it to be. Signing day postmortem. Let's talk about this a bit. We can always talk recruiting. I love talking recruiting. But but you wrote an article. I, I mean, everyone likes to believe, oh, we got to get best guys and all that. But but you look at the national rankings and kind of where BYU's gone since independence came about, not really that glowing. And uh, I'll, I'll be the first to state, I, I've covered this process intently. There's a lot of flaws with the ranking system, a lot. But the fact is, it's the best ranking system out there, <laughs> what 24-7 provides. It's flawed in a lot of ways, but uh, what's your take on, on it, Jay? Yeah, I I do think uh, recruiting has slipped. I, I do think uh, from 
about the time that Utah went to the Pac-12 and BYU went independent. I don't blame it totally on BYU's independence. I think it was the right route to take. But I think not being able to get the top LDS athletes from the state of Utah and even across the country is, is just slowly and slowly caused BYU's recruiting rankings to drop. Utah gets its share now. I think Kyle Whittingham said Utah got five of the top six in-state kids. Um, he's obviously adheres to the star system, the recruiting rankings, because he came up with that number. And it's obviously the people doing the ranking are these ranking services that he's quoting. So uh, coaches believe in it. And and I think they, more often than not, they're right. I, I've followed, like you, a long, long time, these scout.com, rivals.com, now 247sports.com. And I, I think they get it right. Right now, the last time I looked over the weekend, BYU was 77th. Uh, they've slowly dropped off in the Kalani Sataki era. His first recruiting year, 2016, which was really most of Broncos kids, was uh, was ranked, I think, 49th. And, and they haven't come close to that in the, in the next three years under Kalani. So yeah, uh, long answer, uh, short, or whatever, long question, short. Yeah, I think I think BYU recruiting has slipped. And that's why I wrote about it. Um, to me, when that ranking comes out, I, I think I've kind of become aware of what BYU is and what BYU can get. And I, th- I think relative to what I, my expectations are, I, I think that, yeah, that's about it. But when I look at recruiting, I, I think a lot of us tend to look at it as a whole, just like, okay, this class is that and this. But but taking it piece by piece, I do believe BYU's made some really good strides with defensive back and wide receiver recruiting. I think a lot of that's due to Gennaro Guilford and, and Coach Grimes. I, I think they're aggressive. And I think just having a non-LDS African-American coach on staff is really big in that regard because they're signing the type of talented defensive back I haven't seen Bronco able to, to bring in. So, so I think they're making strides in that regard. Where they're not making strides is defensive line recruiting. Offensive line, I, I think they, they, with Jake Griffin, Griffin coming on late and uh, Christian Tupo, I, I think they're fine with offensive line recruiting, but defensive line recruiting has kind of been the big thing for me because when this staff came in, it was like, we're going to be Utah's defensive line. We're going to have a four-man front, just one-gapping guys, and that's going to be the focus of the defense, and it's been pretty much the complete opposite of that. And I think a lot of that is just lack uh, attrition and la- lack of bringing in bodies there. And, and you mentioned the local recruiting. I, I've mentioned this before, but BYU slipped in that regard. I Talking to high school coaches like I do, it's kind of shocking. Uh, BYU has some ground to make uh, up in that regard. I'll, I'll I'll just leave it at that. But if they get all those areas together, and of course, beating Utah is going to be a big thing. If if and when BYU is able to able to do that. But but also, I, I think the motivation, I, I always wonder if BYU would have beat San Diego State at the end of the year and went on and trounced Hawaii in, in the bowl game, how who could have they gotten from that class? What kind of momentum would that have built? I, I, players notice that. It, it, it's a tough thing. And uh, certainly back to basketball, I think what's exciting about this basketball team is, 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 ju- is just the anticipation of what this team can be, where it can go, all that. That is absolutely missing with BYU football. And, and I think it plays on players, whether they, they know it or not, and it certainly plays on fans, whether they admit it or not. But just the lack of anticipation and just knowing, man, if we do this, we can do this. You don't have that in football. No, nope. uh, we lost. Uh, we're going to the Hawaii Bowl. That's it. Okay. Yay. Yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's a, it's a real thing. It's a big thing. And I don't know how you figure that out. It, it's tough. So anyway, just wrapping it up, uh, any final thoughts? Jay, I, I, I'm going to tell you. 
talk BYU men's volleyball, but uh, what's on your mind? Yeah, uh, you know, signing day is still pretty fresh on my mind, and uh, I think what BYU really needs to do, and I've said this and I've written this, is they need to put together somehow a really special season. I think if they can put together a 10-win season, I think they can get, I think there are people out there, like you said, that are just waiting, want to jump back on the bandwagon, want to get momentum going again, want to buy season tickets. All these wants, and they just, someone has to step up and prove to them that they're that that is warranted. And I think if they can maybe get lucky, maybe uh, get a kind of a generational player like they had in Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill, if they can develop that guy and just put together a season, especially against the schedule that they play now, a 10-win, even maybe a 9-win season, I think I think they'll be back on board. And I think maybe they can reverse a little bit of this trend that, like you just said, where where the big dog in the state right now is, is Utah. There's just no question about it. You talk to any high school coach, any uh, most of the recruits coming up, and if they get a Utah offer, they're probably going to take it over a BYU offer. I mean, that's just how the, the tides have changed. So that would be my last thought. Obviously, you, you're going to talk about some of the Olympic sports that BYU is doing really good with and uh, kind of leave on a positive note. Yeah, for sure. Um, with, with the BYU football team, I, I it's still a really young team. Uh, I, I know fans hate hearing that. Oh, it's an excuse and all that. But they have a lot of key players returning. And, and, and I think uh, I think it's very reasonable to believe they're going to be a better product uh, this coming year than they were last year. BYU men's volleyball, holy cow, they're 12-0, and Jay. Uh, they're really doing it. I, it's really interesting because BYU volleyball, you just I, there's just a level of expectation for this team that, that they were going to be among the country's best. And last year was really a shock to the system. That, that There were some big coaching changes, and BYU really didn't have the product that you were used to. And I, I think Olmstead's learned a lot from it. I think the players learned a lot from it. And I, I think they've really galvanized uh, uh, whatever deficiencies they had last year, and, and, and they're really doing it this year. And they're a very, very talented team athletically, uh, good senior leadership. I think this team's going to be out of the Final Four, and I, I think it's a legitimate title contender, which would be a big thing for BYU men's volleyball. So thank you for joining us on this edition of Cougar Insiders Podcast, and we'll see you next week.